The basis for our sermon message today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The word of our God. There are certain people you would listen to, no matter what they're talking about. Take Morgan Freeman, for example. The man has the voice of a purring lion. And and I'm pretty sure that, that Morgan Freeman has been the voice of God more than once in his career as well. If Morgan Freeman was giving a running narration on a day in the life of a slug, I would listen. I don't care what he's talking about. I just want to hear the man talk. Certain people, like Morgan Freeman, can have you hanging on their every word, no matter what they're talking about. Of course, just because someone is a a dynamic speaker or has the voice of a purring lion doesn't mean you should trust everything they say, right? This is what gets people into trouble with what we call cults of personality. It's possible that a leader's persona or charisma could actually lead you astray. You might get so wrapped up in the the person's presence that you forget to listen to what they're actually saying. And this is kind of how it happened with people like Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, how they got so many people to follow along with them in committing such, such horrific actions. People maybe weren't really opening their ears to hear what was going on, what was being said. They were so drawn in by, by the, the dynamicness of, of that speaker, who was speaking, or how things were spoken. And these, these evil dictators, they, they were very good at manipulating people. Right? They, they knew what to say at just the right time. They knew how to, how to play on the people's emotions and fears and frustrations. Their speeches were frighteningly well given. We're not really talking about evil dictators today. That's not the point. But the idea that we might get taken in by an eloquent speaker, that 
That will come into our discussion today. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul reminds us that the message matters much more than the messenger. Human tendency is sometimes to gravitate towards wise, eloquent leaders, to maybe get more wrapped up in who is speaking or how things are being spoken rather than what is being spoken. And so we want to be careful that we're always united around, as Paul says, the message of the cross. To be unified in looking to the message of the cross and the all-sufficient truth that is found there. And this was Paul's goal with the, the church of, of Corinth. He's, he's trying to get them to unify around the message of the cross and to stop playing these cult of personality games. He, he wants them to be united in what they say, to be united in one mind, one conviction, one purpose, and to stop dividing up into factions according to who they think is the best leader. Right? Paul says to them, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. And none of these church leaders here, including Paul himself, were evil dictators trying to manipulate the people of Corinth. They were all united in preaching the gospel message, the message of the cross. And maybe a little background on a couple of the names here. Um, Apollos, he maybe was the wisest, most eloquent, educated minister of the bunch. Uh, Apollos had a really fruitful ministry in the city of Corinth uh, while Paul was away. In the book of Acts, we even hear about Apollos. He was he masterfully refuted the Jews in open debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And so some people in Corinth, they, they preferred Apollos in his more educated speaking style instead of Paul's little bit less refined style. And others are saying, I follow Cephas. Cephas is another name for Peter, the disciple of Jesus. And Peter maybe never even went to Corinth. Still, people were saying, you know what? Peter, he's our true leader. Maybe the fourth faction here, maybe they, a little bit closer to the right answer here, right? They said, I follow Christ. But even there, there's, we get the sense that maybe they were saying this with a little, with a little snarkiness attached. <laughs> Look at us, we thought of this answer that no one else thought of. Or maybe the problem was that they didn't think they needed any help from the earthly ministers God had given them, which is not a great attitude either. And you see things like this happen in churches today, uh, especially big churches. Maybe you've, you've heard of this happening where maybe a church with multiple pastors, there's kind of a cult of personality game that could happen where certain people side with certain pastors and only listen to their favorite pastor, maybe holding a grudge against a different one. Instead of being... United, 
in a vision as a single church, they allow these cult of personality games to divide the congregation. It's such a shame when that happens. And Paul responds to these cult of personality games by, by pointing out how ridiculous it is. It's like he's saying, come on guys, just think this through. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul's even thankful that he, he barely baptized anyone in Corinth just so that no one could use that as fuel for this favoritism game. Uh, so they couldn't say, oh, Paul, he's my guy because he's the one who baptized me. And this, this whole favoritism mess especially frustrates Paul because he knows that he, Apollos, and Peter, they're all on the same page. They're all working toward the same goal of pointing people to Jesus, to the cross. They're all on the same page. But the believers in Corinth, they were so worked up about who was preaching that they weren't really listening to what was being preached. Now, maybe, maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, hold on. Aren't we doing exactly what Paul says not to do when it comes to splitting up into different denominations? I mean, aren't, aren't we doing exactly what Paul says not to do? Where We're saying, I follow the Lutheran church. Meanwhile, others say, I follow the Catholic church, I follow the, the Baptist church, or I follow no church because I don't need a church to know my God. Isn't Paul saying not to do that? Well, it's not exactly the same thing here. The, the factions Paul's addressing here, there was no difference in doctrine among them. It was a matter of people gravitating toward a certain minister and to the, getting to the point where it divided the congregation. He, he condemns this kind of division because there was no valid basis for it. All it did was harm the unity of the congregation. On the other hand, Paul sometimes does say that there's a need for division when the truth is being compromised. And that all kind of ties in with what he says in, in verse 17, when he, he talks about how so much hinges on the cross of Christ not being emptied of its power. And so if, if there's a teaching that hinders the effect or the power of the cross, then we might want to distance away from that, right? And I don't know, maybe then you can see there, there is a basis for division to take place. And for example, maybe later on in this, in this letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul addresses some differences among the Corinthians regarding the Lord's Supper. And there he actually commends the existence of divisions among them to say that this is good as preserving the truth. He, he says to them, no doubt there have to be divisions among you so that those who are genuine may be shown among you. So to, to, to summarize all that, Paul is not crying out for modern denominations to be done away with here. He is crying out for any kind of cult of personality games to be done away with in the church, though. He says there's no place for those. And, and his message to, to, to the Corinthians is just as much for us, because again, human tendency is to gravitate toward eloquent, wise leaders 
even though God's upside-down wisdom says to pay more attention to the what rather than the who or the how of how the message is presented. But I think this is even how you see that, that term church shopping come into play. I think a lot of people talk about church shopping. Um, you see this consumerism ideal overflow into the way we treat religion. Right? Everyone's looking for where's the most dynamic speaker, maybe more of an entertainer or comedian than an actual preacher, but who's the most dynamic? Or where's the church that's got the, the biggest, booming, epic ministry programs? That's where I want to be. Meanwhile, if the, the movie star preacher's message or the, the ministry program's message are a little bit lacking in the truth department, well, hey, at least I've got those externals met for my consumer needs. And the, the pure gospel, it's okay if that, that takes a, a back seat. Might get distracted by the, the who and the how instead of focusing on the, the what, the what of the message being preached. And remember what's at stake here. It's the cross being emptied of its power. And we need the cross at full strength if we want to have any chance of standing against sin and death. And maybe at the heart of all this is not so much our temptation to to follow someone else who is wise or eloquent. Our temptation might be to follow myself, my own wisdom, my own eloquence. The Corinthians, as they're crying out, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, maybe we're most comfortable crying out, I follow me. My wisdom is most trustworthy. I'm the one most qualified to determine what the truth is. But when we allow our human wisdom to determine what truth is or isn't, we're really emptying the cross of its power. We, we rob the cross of Christ of its power when we change the equation. We change it from Jesus plus nothing equals my salvation, changing it to Jesus plus my wisdom, plus my social acts of justice, plus my good choices equals my salvation. It's really emptying the cross of its power and taking its power for ourselves, that we have this huge part to say in it. We also, we would empty the cross of its power when we start crossing sins out of God's law, either because we don't like hearing them or they hit too close to home. This is emptying the cross of its power by telling, telling God, I don't, I don't need or want your forgiveness for this sin. It robs the cross of its power to forgive. We empty the cross of its power when we presume that our wisdom or our reason is better than God's. And it's such a shame when the cross is emptied of power like that because the cross, it's so full, so full of power to save, so full of forgiveness and grace, so full of effect for your life and your eternal life. Every every sin listed in, in God's word, it's one more sin that Jesus paid for on that cross. There's no reason to go crossing sins out of God's law because Jesus crosses every sin off your record. There's no reason to to add our own human wisdom to God's salvation plan because, yeah, 
God's plan of salvation with a cross involved, it looks foolish to the unbelieving world, but to, to the defeated sinner, there's nothing more beautiful, nothing more eloquent than seeing a, an almighty, a perfect, a living God become a lifeless corpse nailed to a tree for you to fill your emptiness, to purchase you as his adopted child, to clean the the rot of sin that infects you out of your life. The cross looks so upside down, so upside down from what should have happened. But the cross makes everything right. At the cross, your upside down life is turned right side up. The power of the cross. There you find atonement for guilt and sin, forgiveness, blood-bought peace, reconciliation with your God. And even the most eloquent preacher in the world can never hope to fully capture the, the eloquence, the magnitude of what happened for you at the cross. The power of, of the cross this declaration of God's no-strings-attached love for you it has to be front and center. This, this is why Paul's mission was not to couch the gospel in cleverly crafted words or persuasive arguments or profound logic. It's truth, not rhetoric, that convinces listeners. And truth, something God's word offers exclusively, and so when the, the power of the cross is being preached, not emptied of its power, then, then you know you got, you got a message worth listening to. And of course, it's, it's okay for good application to be done with God's message that it actually applies to your life. You understand it. It's great when a pastor can, can preach a message dynamically rather than in a boring monotone. But ultimately, those aren't the things you're after. You're not after the who, you're not after the how, you're after the what. What message is being preached? And when that cross presented at its full strength with all its glory, then it's, then it's icing on the cake if it can also be presented in a way that grips the mind or stirs the emotions. That's an extra bonus. And this focus on the, the message rather than the messenger it's actually a reason that a lot of Lutheran churches and even some other denominations will have a minister wear a robe. That, that robe, it kind of highlights the office of the pastor rather than the, the individual behind the office. So you're not wondering whether the pastor's shirt and tie match. You can kind of focus right in on not the messenger, but the message. It's not a bad image to use, is it? Just remember... Don't follow the leader. Follow the message. Follow the the message of the cross. Remember who saves you. Jesus. Jesus alone. Remember how he saves you. The cross. Remember what that means for you. Eternal life with God. Forgiveness of every sin. And remember to say these words to this lowly messenger, 
and to any other pastor who serves you in the future, tell us, messenger, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus. Point me to my Savior. Please point me to the cross. Give me Jesus. I will need nothing else. Amen.